0: Welcome to our online Bible study. Today we're looking at James chapter 1 verse 1 as we begin our study on the book of James. You know when you receive letters, whether they are through the mail, email, or texting, you always look to see who is writing the letter before you read it, right? Well the ancient letter writers signed their names right at the beginning so that readers immediately knew who was writing that letter to them. In the book of James it is no different. James starts right out with verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see that James is the author. So now we know who is writing the letter, right? But the question is, James who? James was a very common name back then. In fact, two of the apostles carried that very same name. As we see in Matthew 4, verses 17 to 22, you see James, the son of Zebedee. He is also the brother of John and then in chapter 10 verse 3 of Matthew you see James the son of Alphaeus and then look over to chapter 13 verse 55 it tells us that James is also the name of Jesus's half-brother so you can see James was a very common name and scripture really does not tell us exactly who wrote the book of James however evidence of the epistle itself favors the traditional identification that the author was James the half-brother of Jesus Christ. You know they have found that the vocabulary of James's speech and the letter that he wrote in Acts fifteen thirteen to 29 actually reveals significant similarity to that of this epistle. In fact, the authoritative tone of the epistle, you know, all those imperatives that we talked about last week, all those commands, agrees very well with the authority exercised by James. So ladies, let's turn over to John chapter 7 and look at verse 5. It says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Wow. So here we see Christ's brothers did not believe in Jesus as their Messiah. Well, you can kind of understand how that can be between siblings, right? Even though they saw the sinless life of Jesus led every day as they grew up with him, they still did not believe that he was their Messiah. He was their half-brother, right? Well, I find that family is the hardest to witness to, don't you? I mean, even Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him, and they grew up with him. So we say, what was the change? How did James go from an unbeliever to writing the book of James as a Jewish believer, believing in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? Well, for that answer, let's look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and look at verse 7. It says, after that, he was seen by James, then by the apostles. So here it's telling us that after Christ was resurrected from the dead, that he appeared to his brother James. Can you imagine? Get that picture in your head. James is seeing Jesus in all of his glory after the resurrection. Ladies it is believed that it was at this point that James accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He saw his brother now as God. He saw him resurrected in all of his glory and now he believes in him. Think about the transformation that took place in James heart but not only was James transformed but as we see in Acts one thirteen 13 to 14 that Jesus' brothers were also in the upper room praying let's look over at that it says and when they had entered they went up into the upper room where they were staying Peter James John and Andrew Philip and Thomas Bartholomew and Matthew James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Ladies, they were all there now in the upper room praying. When Jesus gets a hold of your heart, your life is transformed, isn't it? Well, one of the first things that we see, ladies, in the book of James is humility. Let's look at verse 1 as we begin. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, James was not all puffed up here. He could have began his letter saying, James, the half-brother of Jesus, or James, the head of the Jerusalem church, but he didn't. Instead, he humbly said, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies, he wasn't pointing to who he was in the flesh, but he was pointing to who he was in Christ Jesus. The Greek word here for bond is doulos. It depicts a slave, a person deprived of all personal freedom and totally under the control of his master. Remember, James grew up with Jesus. He knew him as Jesus, his half-brother, but now he acknowledges his deity by saying a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses all three names here, Lord Jesus Christ. He knew him by the name Jesus growing up, but now he knows him as Lord Jesus Christ, his master and savior, his Messiah. James acknowledges that he is a bondservant. He is humbling acknowledges Jesus as his Lord and Savior his Messiah it was a privilege to be under total control as it is with all of us Christians that we are under total control of our master Jesus Christ now tradition says that James had knees like a camel's knees Oh, they were all rough and callous from being on his knees in prayer so much all oh, ladies how are your knees Can it be said about us that we are on our knees at all times? As we study the book of James, I am positive that we will learn to be on our knees as James was, depending on our Lord and Savior to meet our needs and get us through every step of our life. Now the verse continues to go on to say whom James was writing to in verse 1-1. It says, To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. The term 12 tribes was a title commonly used in the New Testament to refer to the nation of Israel. So first we see that James is writing to the nation of Israel, right? And it says that they were scattered abroad, which is a translation for scattered in the Greek is diaspora, which means dispersion. Now James here is writing to those Jews that were living outside of the promised land. They have fled due to the persecution of the Christians. From the message of the letter itself, as well as many times that James refers to the readers as brothers, it is clear that he is writing to Christian Jews. So, James here is a Jew himself, and his primary audience was to Jewish Christians who were fleeing because of persecution. As we turn over to Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, It kind of shows us a diagram of what was going on at that particular time with Saul of Tarsus persecuting the church. Let's read that. It says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered were everywhere preaching the word. So here we have Saul of Tarsus, who is persecuting the Christians. They had just stoned Stephen. And so you have these Christians that are fleeing, and this is who James is writing to. Now this is not to be confused with the diaspora that we learned about in our last study of the end time events. So I wanna make it clear to those of you who did that study with me that these are two separate dispersions. There we looked at the history of the Jews and saw in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 64 to 65 that God had scattered the Jews to the four corners of the earth because of their disobedience and their rejection of God. This is a different dispersion, okay? Here in the book of James, they are fleeing because of persecution of the Christians. Now, when the Jewish believers were scattered due to the persecution, as we saw in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, they didn't just flee and do nothing, right? As we see in verse 4, they continued to preach the Word of God as they scattered. They continued, ladies, to spread the gospel, sowing the seeds as they fled from place to place. Now, it'd be so easy to say, well, I'm being persecuted, therefore I'm going to leave here, but I'm going to be quiet for the rest of the time. I'm not going to do anything because I don't like this persecution stuff going on. No, they continued to flee, but they continued to spread the gospel also, didn't they? They didn't stop. They didn't let Satan win. They continued, even though they were being persecuted, they continued to spread the gospel. Ladies the Jewish Christians at this time, we're having some very serious problems in their personal lives and in their church fellowship now we're going to be learning so much from reading the book of James whether you have read it before or not there is always something new that jumps off the pages ladies this is the living word of God if we're going to be prepared for those times of persecution those times of trials and temptations then we need to be having a close relationship with God. We need to be in the Word daily so that we can hear what He wants to tell us. We need to be in prayer, as James was, asking the Lord to guide us and sustain us in every aspect of our lives. But one of the major problems they had was the failure of living what they professed to believe. They were not walking the talk. Ladies, how many times do we have to say, actions speak louder than words, right? If we are not living what we are saying, then how are we gonna win those for Christ? It comes across very hypocritical. The second problem was that they had a serious problem with their tongue to the point of creating wars and division in the assembly. We will be talking about the tongue later in chapter three. Another problem they had was worldliness. They were disobeying God's word, and they were straying away from the Lord in the church. Well, ladies, things haven't really changed that much between James' day and what we see now. It seems as if James is dealing with a very up-to-date issue, doesn't it? We still see today in churches members who are talking one way and living another, or they live one way on Sunday and totally different during the week. They don't walk the talk. There is still a huge problem with the tongue today. There are just some people who cannot control their tongue. We see in many churches today where worldliness has crept in, haven't we? And they are turning away from the Lord, away from sound doctrine, and away from the Bible. Ladies, the most common cause of all of these problems is spiritual immaturity. The problems James was facing then are still a problem today. People just don't want to grow up. I have a video that I'd like you to watch at this point that kind of just illustrates how grown adults still are like babes. Please watch. What can I get you? i have the number three with juice. Juice. Okay. I'm going to have them famous healthy oats, All the strawberry apple puffs, please. And large milk, skim. And for you, sir. I'm going to go with the steak. What? But- This was just a fun illustration of how adults can still act like babies, right? But it is a serious problem in the Christian world that we do still have Christians who act like babes in Christ instead of maturing in their Christian walk. Hebrews 5:12 through14 says, "For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God." and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Ladies, as you grow in your Christian walk, you will change from milk to solid food. But in order to do this, we need to be in the Word of God. We need to be learning to trust God in every aspect of our lives. We need to make Him Lord of our lives. Now, when you are a new Christian, you are a babe in Christ. But God wants us to grow in our relationship with Him. He doesn't want us to stay babies. Just like a baby infant grows from being a baby and matures, God wants us to grow from being a babe in Christ to a mature Christian. Now, James uses the word perfect several times in this epistle. And you will see it like three times in chapter one, once in chapter two, and once in chapter three. And in the Greek, the word for perfect means mature or complete. When James uses the term perfect man in James 3, 2, he didn't mean a sinless man, but rather one who is mature, balanced, and grown up. Ladies, spiritual maturity is one of the greatest needs in our churches today. I like how wearsby put it on page 24. He said, too many churches are playpins for babies instead of workshops for adults. As we continue over the next several weeks, we are going to cover five marks of a mature Christian. The first mark is that a mature Christian is patient in testing, which we will see in James chapter one. And then we'll continue in chapter two, and we find that the mature Christian practices the truth. In James three, we find that the mature Christian has power over his tongue. In James four, we find that the mature Christian is a peacemaker and not a troublemaker and then in chapter 5 we will see that the mature Christian is prayerful in times of troubles so ladies the essential factors to become spiritually mature are first we need to make sure that we are born again now you can't even begin to be spiritually mature if you have not been spiritually born just like a child is born and slowly matures over time a Christian needs to be spiritually born to be spiritually mature now to be born again basically means that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that you ask him to forgive you of your sins and once you have done this he is faithful and just to forgive you ladies you cannot move on to the next essential factor until you have done this first so if you have not accepted Jesus Christ into your heart I ask you to do this now say Lord Jesus I ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior forgive me of my sins that I have done come into my heart be Lord and master of my life ladies once you have prayed that prayer you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart the second essential would be to examine our lives in the light of all of God's word. Now I like how Warren Wiersbe described it. He said that James compares the Bible to a mirror. As we study the word, we are looking into the divine mirror and seeing ourselves as we really are. But James warns us that we must be honest about what we see and not merely glance at the image and walk away. You know, when you hold a vessel up into the light it exposes the cracks and the flaws right so too with us we are the vessel and our lives are exposed to the light of jesus which exposes our flaws that need to be fixed the third essential is to obey what god teaches us no matter what the cost ladies We must be doers of the word and not just hearers only, as it says in James 1, 22. It is so easy to attend a Bible study, to share the lesson and discuss it. But it is much more difficult to go home into our everyday lives and live what we have learned. But this is what we're going to do, right? To strive to do this in order to grow in our Christian maturity. The fourth essential is to be prepared for some extra trials and testing. Ladies, whenever you get serious about spiritual growth, the enemy gets serious about opposing it. As you desire to mature in your Christian walk, Satan, he will turn up the heat and just try to discourage you. Ladies, don't let Satan win. Continue on that right path. Remember, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Nothing is going to happen to you today that God is not allowed and remember that when you go through those times of trials and temptations remember when you are suffering persecution the more you are being molded into what God wants you to be we need to trust God to know that he is in control and trust him to complete the work that he has started in us the fifth essential is that we must measure our spiritual growth by the word of God we should not be measuring ourselves by other Christians right but by the word of God Ephesians 4:13 through 15 says we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine but by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up it all things into him who is head Christ so ladies don't be looking at somebody else to measure your spiritual life by measure your spiritual growth by the Word of God well not everyone who grows old grows up age and maturity are two different things As we mature in our Christian walk, we will be walking the talk. We will see things through the eyes of Christ instead of through eyes of immaturity. As we study James together, with God's help, we will learn together and mature together. Ladies, I want you to think about the essentials to spiritual maturity that we had talked about. And I want you to examine your own life. Each and every one of us are at a different maturity level, depending on where you are in your Christian walk will depend on the maturity level that you are at. Every time you open this word of God, it is the living word of God. God is going to bring out whatever you need at that particular time in your life, in your Christian walk. Ladies, which one of these essentials to spiritual maturity do you need to work on? ask God to help you during this study. Now there's always room for maturity and no matter where you are in life, each one of us can grow in our Christian walk with God. I look forward ladies to doing this study with you and to be with you in your homes each week. Until next week, God bless.